So from Luke chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples broke off heads of grain, rubbed off the husk in their hands, and ate the grain. But some Pharisees said, Why are you breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus replied, Haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priest can eat. He also gave some to his companions. And Jesus added, The Son of Man is Lord, even over the Sabbath. On another Sabbath day, a man with a deformed right hand was in the synagogue while Jesus was teaching. The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees watched Jesus closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew their thoughts. He said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. So the man came forward. Then Jesus said to his critics, I have a question for you. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them one by one and then said to the man, Hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored. At this, the enemies of Jesus were wild with rage and began to discuss what to do with him. Good morning. Uh, Kate is a senior in high school. He's been in my life for, for a few years now. Um, we just want to also, I haven't had a chance to say thank you so much for how you as a church, how we invest in high school students, even the underground that was funded and made for the purposes of ministry. It's such a beautiful space, and it's amazing to see students grow there. So thank you for the way you support all the ministries of this church. Thank you for reading that, Cade. And it's Father's Day. Today, and in the spirit of Father's Day, I decided to ask my father what it was he was looking forward to when he was going to have kids. And like many of you, maybe take a moment to think if you're a father, what was I looking forward to? And this is what he said, well, before we had you, Christian, nobody in our household, you might be appalled to hear, needed to be told to brush their teeth. Nobody. In fact, nobody had to be wrestled to the ground day after day in order to brush their teeth. So I was looking forward to establishing this rule when you came along. Before you came along, nobody would scream when the hour of video games they were allotted was up. And we were excited to finally have you come along so we can institute this rule that to say one hour video games max, you better not scream about it. Right? Like, these aren't the reasons that fathers are excited to be fathers. We're excited to meet this child that's a part of you. We're excited to see them grow. We're excited to love them and form a relationship with them. But obviously, as good parents know, rules are an important part of establishing this relationship, of helping your children grow, and of mediating your relationship between them. But we can't put the, heart, the cart before the horse, right? We remember the purpose is not—the purpose of having kids is not— to make rules. The purpose of the rules is for the flourishing of our kids. And God gives many rules to his people, Israel, and one of these rules that we'll be specifying or looking into specifically today is Sabbath. Um, and now before, there we go. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. <laughs> um, now before God gives this as a rule to his people, it's set up as a pattern. And if you know the scriptures, in the book of Genesis, God creates the heavens and the earth, everything in six days. 
the sky, the land. He separates the, the, the water from the sea, um, puts the, the moon, the sun, day and night. He creates order in six days, the universe, from the biggest things to the smallest things. And then it says on the seventh day, he rested. It was a day dedicated to rest, and it was holy. It's interesting that along with the physical order that he puts in the universe, there's a temporal order. Time is ordered as well, day and night, days that are ordinary and days of rest. But still, this is a pattern that he establishes. Then God chooses his people, starting with Abraham, and they start to grow, and then these people end up in captivity in Egypt. And there in slavery, they work relentlessly. This pattern is disrupted. They don't get their day of Sabbath of rest. They're stuck in relentless labor. So God frees his people. He takes them out of Egypt. And then he also notices that he can't just take them out of Egypt. He has to take Egypt out of them. That they have internalized, they've taken on the culture that they were immersed in. They internalized the habits of relentless work that they had. And a part of this process of taking Egypt out of them, he gives them a new relationship, a new covenant. And there we get the laws, including the law of Sabbath. And these laws are, in t are to mediate his relationship between his people and him. And now one of these laws is Sabbath. And if you read in Exodus 20, it says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, and on the seventh day is the Sabbath day to the Lord. Sabbath literally means to stop. And it goes on, On it you shall not do any work. Pretty clear. Neither you nor your son or your daughter, male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, it's not just for you. You're not just going to pawn off the work to someone else. Like, hey, kids, now you're going to go work. Or, hey, spouse, you're going to go work for me. Or, hey, foreigner, you don't even follow my God. I don't wanna, I'm going to put you to work. Everything's stopping, the land, the animals, the people. Now, the reason that God specifies in his, is in Exodus 31, 13. God tells Moses to tell the people, be careful to keep my Sabbath day, for the Sabbath is a sign of the covenant between me and you from generation to generation. It is given to you so that I may know that I am the Lord who make, it is I the Lord who makes you holy. It's a sign of this relationship. Every seventh day, you are going to remember this relationship I established with you. And it is a gift. And then, um, <laughs> I just had to include this. Uh, it says, in the six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, but on the seventh day he stopped working and was refreshed. And the word refreshed can also be translated he breathed. And Will you just let, breathe with me for a second on this seventh day? <sighs> Feels good. Man, don't you feel refreshed? God breathed. He was refreshed. Oh, what a gift of Sabbath. And now, the Sabbath has these three purposes. Primarily, it's a sign of this covenant. You're going to remember this relationship I established with you. It is a gift of rest to his people. And you might even think, well, it would be pretty easy for them to rest. They've been, they've been in slavery. Like they, they, aren't they itching for a day? Oh, amen, right? And yet, it becomes difficult to keep. And they need it to be commanded. Or maybe it's even to stop us from pushing labor onto other people who we might be able to exploit. Everyone is going to receive this gift of rest. And it's an act of faith. It specified that he made his people holy. They didn't make themselves holy. And it's also for us to remember that he's the one who's holding the cosmos together, the one who created it all, is keeping it in motion. So we rest on the Sabbath. Now, this seems pretty great, right? The issue is that it gets a little bit complicated, right? It, it, it's not incredibly detailed. 
It says to stop. It says not to work. It says to rest, maybe to breathe. And you think, great, so if you're a chef in your 1900s, 1900s, that's not what it is, in your 4,000 BC restaurant, six days you work, you're chopping up your fish, you're serving people, you're getting paid for it, and on the seventh day, you're not going to do that. You're going to enjoy an evening meal with your family, and then you're going to rest with them, and you're going to go to temple and hear teaching. Great. Don't go back to your job. That's work. Okay. But what if you're a single guy at this time, and you eat a lot of ancient world fast food, whatever that is, and on that day, it might be nice to treat your body and yourself just to crack a couple eggs open on a Saturday morning, sizzle up some bacon, except not if you're Jewish, and, <laughs> and enjoy a little meal. It's not a labor. I'm not getting paid for it. It's not incredibly hard, but, well, I don't know. Is that work? Or maybe, or maybe you're a donkey, and all week you have a great job before you met Shrek. You, you were just... You had a burden on your back. You would be carrying things around for people. And you're like, oh, this is a, I'm a strong donkey. I, this is a great job. But I need a day not to carry things around. I want to eat my grass and lay down in a pasture and drink from a cool stream. So no more carrying things around on the Sabbath. Well, what if you don't move a lot and you work a little more with your head and you're like, I, I think it might be great for me just to, to move my body, lift a couple weights, and that might be something that helps me restore, recuperate. Well, is that work? Well, I don't know if the donkey could do it, and I don't know where to draw the line so much, so maybe we just don't carry things around, right? There's some ambiguity here. What is work? What is rest? And we're like, we know it, but then also, where do we draw the line? And the, and the people of Israel took this seriously, as they should have, but into this ambiguity, the Pharisees, in particular that we read about, create they try to create what's called the fence around the law, and that's additional rules, these melachot, 39 rules, or they call them 40 minus 1, but I did the math for us, um, rules to help us not break the Sabbath. We care deeply about not breaking the Sabbath. So we're not going to carry things, and we're not going to harvest any grain, and we're not going to walk too far because we really want to make sure that we're resting well. And while this might have been well intended to begin with, this fence became a wall, and it was treated with the same strictness that the original command was and did not have the flexibility, maybe the room for interpretation of God's word. This then becomes, turns this day of rest into a day of, that's quite a burden. And this is something Jesus isn't pleased with. And that is the scene setting us up for Jesus walking in in Luke chapter 6. And so it says, on one Sabbath, one Sabbath, Jesus was walking through the grain fields, and his disciples broke the heads of grain, rubbed the husks in their hands, and he ate the grain. But some of the Pharisees says, why are you breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Now, as they walk through, they're plucking heads of grain. That is considered reaping. And you're like, well, they're not farming. They're not doing the whole thing, but plucking the heads of grain, that's considered harvesting or reaping. As they rub it, in their hands. They're separating the husk from the grain. That's threshing. And it, even as they let the husks blow away in the wind, that's winnowing, and, and they put the grain in their mouths, and they crush it, and they're turning it into a flower, and now they're preparing food. And you're like, I don't think they're really breaking the Sabbath. But they are breaking this additional 
these additional rules, this fence this, that's become a wall. So we just think Jesus is going to respond here and say, well, actually, we're not breaking the Sabbath. We're breaking your interpretation of the Sabbath. But Jesus doesn't choose to do that. It's interesting. I want him to take the easy win. He could just explain what we all just talked about. But he doesn't. He does something else. And he replies, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went to the house of God and he broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests can eat. He also gave some to his companions. And Jesus added, the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. It's a confusing direction that he pivots to. And what he's referencing is a story in 1 Samuel where David, who's the king, but he's anointed to be king, but he's not yet king. He's on the run from the current king, Saul, who doesn't want David to take over. And he goes to a temple, and he tells the priest, we're very hungry, we're feeling the pains of hunger, even what it says, and we want, and we know there's bread in the temple, would you please just feed us? We're, we need it, we're hungry, and we've kept ceremonially clean. And the priest says, okay, we can give that, we can do that given the circumstances. Now, there's a debate about whether David and this priest actually did the right thing. And we, we could try to unpack that for a while. But it seems like what Jesus is trying to do, but it seems like he might have violated the law. So what Jesus is trying to do is reference this story with David by saying, you won't criticize David, this Israelite king, the George Washington of, of Israel. You're not going to criticize this man, though he might have actually broken the law, and maybe he even did break the law. But even given the circumstances, if they're hungry, maybe it was okay. But you won't criticize David, who might have broken the law, did break the law. But you are criticizing me, and I'm not breaking the law. You are hypocrites. So he doesn't just want to defend himself against the accusations of the Pharisees. He wants to push back into them and say, I'm trying to expose this hypocrisy of the religion that you have added. And even you are not consistent in the judgments that you are making on people. Don't you know? Haven't you read the scriptures? Do you not see what David has done? So he takes a conversation that is about what he is doing, and he turns it into a conversation about who he is. Because if you do not recognize who Jesus is, if they don't see who he is, they're never going to agree with what he's doing. But if they did know who they were speaking to, they wouldn't be giving him a lecture. They'd be taking notes. He says, it's not just about what I'm doing. We're not just two guys having a debate about the law. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I gave the Sabbath, and I know how to keep it. There's this moment in um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. Uh, it's also become a meme, but there's the White Witch, who's the devil character, and then Aslan, who's the god character, and they're talking about this sacrifice that Aslan's going to make, and she's describing how the magic's going to work, and then Aslan turns to her and says, do not recite the, mag the deep magic to me, witch. I was there when it was written. Do we know this quote? I don't know. Um, do not recite the deep magic to me, witch. I was there when it was written. That's kind of what's going on. I know the law. I know the Sabbath. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the one who gave it to you. Do you know who you're talking to? Mark adds this detail that's not in Luke, and he says this, that Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was not made to meet the needs of people. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not people to meet the requirements of Sabbath. You've got it backwards. 
We're not just here to follow this strict rule that you've enforced on us. The Sabbath was a gift for my people, and you've made it a burden, and I'm here to push it off. So we see here that Jesus restores the purpose of Sabbath. He's going to war with the oppressive legalistic system that the Pharisees have imposed. Um, John Mark Comer, in Practicing the Way, talks us more about our current Sabbath practice, but it, it speaks to this as well. But he says, Previous generations often thought of the Sabbath as a somber, serious day full of religious duty and legalistic rules. We see that in the Pharisees. Today, many people think of it as a day to chill, relax, or sleep. Both generations miss the essential truth. The Sabbath is designed by God as a day to give yourself fully to delight in God's world, in your life in it, and ultimately in God himself. It's good. He's restoring the purpose of Sabbath. So, we have the first account, restoring the purpose, going head-to-head with the Pharisees, making the conversation about who he is. And then it goes on, another account about the Sabbath. On another Sabbath day, the man, a man with a deformed right hand was in the synagogue while Jesus was teaching. The teachers of religious law and the Pharisees watched Jesus closely. If he healed them, if he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. It's interesting, some people listening, maybe you're like, I don't believe that he could heal the man's hand. That's not the case for the Pharisees. They believe that he could do it, and they were hoping he would do it. Not for the sake of this man and the restoration of his hand, and maybe his ability to work, and maybe the restoration of his social status, and maybe all the other things that go along with it. They are hoping he heals him so they can accuse him of breaking their rules. How warped can they be? How warped could we be in our thinking? And so... It says, but Jesus knew their thoughts. He said to the man with a deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. He's not doing this in secret. He could have waited until the next day. He could have said, see me after class. I'll heal you there. But he's, he's bringing him to the front. He's taking these people head on. He's taking this system head on. And come in front of everyone. So the man came forward, and then Jesus said to his critics, I have a question for you. Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is it a day to save a life or destroy it? So here we see that these people really do not understand what the law is about. They have no mercy, no compassion for a man in need. In fact, where, where they, Jesus sees a person who he loves the Pharisees see a pawn in their political game. Using a a, a man with a deformed hand for their own purposes, with no regard for him. And Jesus is saying, you do not understand the law and you do not understand God. Matthew adds another, uh, another element of what Jesus has said here, that if you had a sheep, this is Jesus addressing the Pharisees, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. You're hypocrites because you care more for your animals than you do for other people. And then he looked around at them one by one and said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. And the enemies 
of Jesus were wild with rage and began to discuss what to do with him. They're wild with rage because of how he's violated their rules. How we treat our neighbor reveals whether or not we understand the scriptures. This man is a litmus test for us. What we make of this man, what we long for for this man, what we're hoping to use this man for with the deformed hand, reveals that they do not, do not understand God at all. They are experts in the parts of the law that they like, and maybe the parts of the law they have added to it, added to, but they do not understand the heart of God because they have no mercy or compassion. And it's revealed here by how they view this man. Jesus conversely says, yes, the law does not prohibit you from doing an act of kindness for me to perform a healing. In fact, religious workers are allowed to work on the Sabbath. He was teaching after all, and that wasn't criticized. But he wanted to heal this man. Jesus wanted to restore him because Jesus understands the heart of God. He has the heart of God, and he understands the law. One of, sorry, I believe it's Mark, but I don't have it written down here, but also adds this other quote that Jesus pulls in, and he references Hosea, and it says, do you not understand that God desires mercy and not sacrifice? He's referencing this occurrence in the scriptures that the people of Israel got really good at playing church, really good at offering their sacrifices, really good at doing their religious duties, following the ritual law. But the way they treated people outside of the temple was appalling. And he said, you do not understand me. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Are the, are the rituals significant? Have I asked you, asked you to offer sacrifices? Yes, but it's void if you do not love people. And what we do with our neighbor reveals whether we understand the scriptures, whether we understand the heart of God. First John puts it like this. Oop. If someone says, I love God but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people who we can see, how can we love God who we can't see? I think it might be something like this. Um, I could claim that I am the best basketball player in the NBA. Well, I'm not in the NBA. I am better than every basketball player in the NBA. Does anyone want to take me one-on-one? -on -one? <laughs> this is why. Every single player in the NBA, I don't know if you know much about basketball, but all of them have traveled, especially LeBron. All of them have committed a personal foul, reaching for a steal, you slap someone's hand. Most of them, maybe even a flagrant foul <laughs> or a technical. Every single one of them has broken the rules of basketball. In fact, I made some additional rules that prove how good I am at basketball. And I said, you know what, I don't want to travel. I don't want to even get near taking three steps. I don't even take a single step. And I don't want to get near hitting somebody. So I'm going to say, whenever you even reach for a ball, go for a steal, you're violating my rules. And when I watch basketball, I sit there and think, how much better am I? I mean, I probably do think this. How much better am I than all these people playing? I, would, I wouldn't have done that. Not only are you 
violating the, the rules of the game, you're also violating my additional rules. Take that, Stephen Curry. I'm better at basketball than you. And you're, you're like, well, the purpose of basketball is not following the rules. The purpose of the rules are help, to help you play basketball. And moreover, if we follow your rules where you cannot move with the ball and you cannot reach and try to steal the ball from people, you have a terrible game and it's called netball. And they play it in parts of uh, the British world. I'm Canadian, so I don't know. I have to learn about this. But I don't know. It was too much of an inside joke. But, um, <laughs> but that's not the purpose of basketball. It's to play the game. It's the score. It's for this team. It's for teamwork. There's so much that goes into being great at basketball, playing the game. The rules are important. You got to follow them. But that's not what makes you great at basketball. The rules are important, but that's not what makes you reflective of God's image in the world. It's not what reveals the fact that you understand the covenant that he's made. Do you have life and an abundant, full relationship with your father? Do you love people well? The rules are here to help you play the game. They're not the end-all, be-all. They help you move along. But how do you love people? How deeply do you know Jesus? That's what the game's about. How do you love your neighbor? If you cannot love your neighbor who you do see, how can you love God who you do not see? And at this, healing, the Pharisees go off to kill Jesus. It's so ironic that they're looking, they think that they are making God happy when they are plotting to kill his son. That's how warped their thinking is. But Jesus is trying to push off this burden of legalistic religion, and he wants to give us true rest. We find true rest in the Lord of the Sabbath. So the Pharisees on the Sabbath, they plot Jesus' demise, and God takes this act of evil and uses it for his good. And when Jesus dies on the cross for our sins, Jesus eventually dies on the cross because of this for our sins. This is what sets it in motion so that we can have new life with him. And here we just see that Jesus is eager to heal, eager to restore, eager to bring rest. And if you've been longing for that, if you've been longing for some restoration, if you've been longing for the rest of trying to follow enough rules to make God happy with you, if you've been caught in the means and forgetting that they are means, that practices are to connect us with our Father, Jesus just offers these words for us. Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. He wants to give the true rest that the Sabbath was even pointing to.
So, I'm just going to read this part so I say it right. But he brings us a new covenant written in his blood where we no longer under the law but under grace. We are no longer under this law but under grace. We can be right with God not by keeping the law but by receiving the free gift of forgiveness through Jesus who has paid the punishment for our failures and who rose from the dead to bring us new life in him so that we can know God now and delight in God forever. That's what this conflict is leading to. That's where it's all going. What a gift. Don't we just long for this kind of rest with Jesus? So what are some things we can do? How can we, how can we, maybe some things that we can do to apply this? Um, The first thing is to examine ourselves. Now the crazy thing about these Pharisees is that they think that they are doing what God wants. They are so sure, in fact, that Jesus is in the wrong and they are not. And when we are blind, spiritually blind, the question is how can we see? Are we even open to being corrected? And the Pharisees are not. They have a hard heart. They're stubborn. And God is in front of them trying to show them what Sabbath is all about, trying to show them who he really is, and they just reject it. So it's kind of like this. Um, this is a Mark Twain quote. Uh, but if you ain't, it ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. The first part, I think, is actually completely wrong. Um, but the second part speaks to their condition, right? It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. They're so sure, and they are wrong, and it gets in, them into a whole lot of trouble. So we too can be like that. And I don't know what I can't see. I can't see it. And so the invitation, maybe more so than even to examine ourselves, is to invite God to examine us. The Psalm 139 um, puts it like this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Could that be a prayer for God to show us anything that we might be overlooking, anything that we might have misinterpreted. Maybe you guys are all peachy on everything, amen, but it can't hurt to check. It can't hurt to reinvite him. Show us, oh, where have I been wrong and what I've been thinking, what I've been doing. The second is to remember the purpose for the practice. Whoops. Um, there we go. Remember the purpose for the practice. That they thought that the Sabbath, that people were made to follow the Sabbath. They thought we had children in order to have someone to follow the rules. And he's like, that's not the reason. All of your means, the reason that we follow the law, abstain from sin, the, way, the reason that we pray, have your quiet time, gather in church, is to grow in intimacy with our Father, is to become like him. And when we get those two things mixed up, we're going to warp the practice and we're going to miss God in the process. What's the purpose for the practice? And then lastly, we just get to rest with the Lord of the Sabbath. Though we do not have to, the, the Sabbath was designed to point to this old covenant, yet the invitation is still there. The pattern is still set out in creation. And the invitation is to still find rest with him. And maybe taking a full day of Sabbath feels like a hard start, but do you make space to stop, to breathe, to delight in God? And if you're looking for a practical place to start, we did this amazing series a few years ago called 
Life with God, not a few years ago, less than a year ago, maybe. I don't, I don't remember. Um, but Aaron Holm and the creative team made a, did an amazing job giving us some tools to put things into practice, to say, okay, Jesus, show me how to rest in you. So calvarylife.org slash practices has stuff on Sabbath and a lot more. And lastly, we could just get to worship this Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus, show us who you really are. Not only the Sabbath, but the Lord of the whole world. What a gift to know him. Would you just mind praying with me? Father, we just thank you for sending Jesus to show us truth, to set us right, to, to push off the burden of legalism. Would you just expose in us, Lord, any wrong thinking that we have, any wrong acting? Would you examine us? Because we want to follow your everlasting way. Lord, help us drop our burdens at your feet. Any of us who are coming in here weary, let us come to you. Teach us how to rest in you. And Lord, would you lead us in your everlasting life. We pray all of this in your name.